it's not the X-Men team that we saw voted on, but it's the X-Men team that Orcus deserves. From the shadows rises a new team. My mouth hurts from smiling just from you talking like that. Ooh. Ooh. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. Alicia is so hyped. I'm so... I mean, understandably so, because that was just... <sighs> so good. But it's the last issue that we're talking about today, so... So hold it together wrap until it up. then. Keep it together. Keep what it together. What are we talking about today? That's your job. Oh my God, let me tell everybody what we're talking about. So we have three digis this week, because we have to catch up on our X-Men Unlimited. We have numbers 96, 97, and 98. We have Scarlet Witch, number seven, Magneto, number one, Astonishing Iceman, number one, and Fall of X, X-Men, number 25. And a, a, a quick, like, what wh- worth mentioning on Amazing Spider-Man right. Annual, number one, yes. because I just posted it this morning, there's a decent amount of Krakoan activity in the pages of Spider-Man. That was a pretty Krakoan book. Yeah, a surprisingly Krakoan book. Mm-hmm. But before all that, we have a short amount of news. News, 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 news. Yeah. It's the news. It's the news. News, news. <laughs> Wedding issue cover. Starting up. Oh, God. Just ripping the band-aid, that Orcus propaganda as you. <laughs> it is Orcus propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> the covers have been released. The variant covers of Invincible Iron Man showing the, the very strange assemblage of wedding party guests Emma surrounded by people that I would not really call her friends, you know. Um, <laughs> Jean, sure, I guess. Except Scott, she's not with us currently. Sure, right? She did. We all know she's dead. Scott. Yep. Logan. Why? Uh, he's he's Jean's plus two, I guess. <laughs> and then Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a very odd what? semblance of people. Riri, Pepper, and Rhodey on the other side for Tony. Okay. Checks out. That's great. That tracks. You know. I don't know Pepper and Tony in the comics very well, right. but, you know, I'll allow it. It makes sense thematically. But I also think sometimes, you know, do we read in too much of covers? Of course we do. Of course. Of course. You know, the the side-by-side of the wedding party, you see a little tiny Kamala on the Avengers side, even though she was dead at the point. Right. And then you see the X-Men side, and everyone's different now. Yeah, it's, just, it's <laughs> crazy. And people keep... You know, sending me articles of of things or points about how Tony and Emma are going to fall in love. And, you know, here's what I want to say. Maybe Jerry's (laughs) going to do it. Maybe it's real. But I will deny it until it happens. And then if I am swayed by Jerry, as he often sways me, then fine. But right now... I'm in denial. Unswayed. I don't want to talk about Currently it. Currently unswayed. So I mentioned light news, right? Right. There's not really a whole lot of news, like hard news. Mm. Uh, it's just a bunch of articles, which, you know, I love because love them. they're relevance too. So I just wanted to shout out a couple of the articles that are currently up on Marvel.com's news section that 
tease out some elements of the comics and give you a little bit further backstory information. Cool. Kate Pride's ninja past <laughs> explained. <laughs> yeah. So you know the basis, you know the start. Kitty Pride yes, and Wolverine. Yes. What else is there? Ooh. Ooh. Fancy has been tickled. Ooh. <laughs> what else is there? Meet Romeo. Iceman's inhuman boyfriend, mm. giving us a little backstory on Romeo as he is set up in his ice castle. That could be really important in understanding what he's a able to do. Comic that we have to talk about this week: Astonishing Iceman, history of Krakoan medicine. Wow, mm. what's going on? What's new? What's changed with Krakoan medicine? Interesting. A little kill switch, perhaps? Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. That's what they call it, all right? I know. That's the name. I know. And then Rogue and Gambit's relationship recap, which I felt like was out of place a little bit, but then you consider where they are at here. Separate teams, not really doing so mm. well. And then, I mean, we know that it was kind of set up that sure. Gambit's going to be upset with Rogue about the whole manifold situation. Whenever that gets revealed, so, too, because I guess, yeah. that hasn't come out. There's right. no where is he? avenue for that to come out. There, there was no instructions from Destiny, you know, in case of death and destruction at the gala... We don't know that for a fact, do sure, we? Sure, sure. She I mean, could she, have, off-panel. She, she speaks in riddles. You know, yeah. it was in it was in that premonition. Oh, gosh. And I don't know if you saw them. I posted some pages, some preview pages of Immortal X-Men. Oh, I saw them. With the, the beardy I Xavier saw them, but the I didn't read those words. I just flip, flip, flip through oh. the pictures real quick. Well, that, was, that was a very satisfying flashback and a very exciting tee-up. For Immortal? For Immortal, yes. Woo-hoo. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is streaming on Disney Plus in so case you're interested. if you didn't watch it before, you can watch it now. Or if you want to watch it again like Justin does. Ooh. Yes, I am aware that <laughs> Justin wants to watch it again. But uh, yeah, but I there's watch... also things like Ninja Turtles that we need to go see. Yeah, mutant-related content. <laughs> I mean, Teenage mutant. It's in the name. But also, the High Evolutionary is connected to the X-Men at various points, various times, mm-hmm. and, and also is connected to something we're doing later this weekend on Grey Malkin Lane, it's talking true. about old Herbert putting him on trial. It's true. It's true. Actually, thought about Chad and Grey Malkin Lane while catching up on the Infinity comic. Oh, because of the classic mm-hmm. notes? Well, it was interesting, too, because I didn't know Chad was going to... The Uncanny Experience. Ah, uh, yes. The panels and classes were announced on Uncanny Experience. Mm-hmm. This is a great time to play the ad. Oh, hey. This here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's and be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at theuncannyexperience.com. 
So we will be teaching a class together. Yes, we will. Something like Welcome to Krakoa or the Krakoan Era or something like that. She's checking. And then I will be teaching a class, the Intergalactic Social Studies of the Shi'ar Empire, detailing some of the biggest and baddest alien races that have come into contact with our mutant friends over the years. Ah, it's called the, the Krakoan Age. The Ex-Wife Podcast hosts dive into modern the modern Krakoan Age of the X-Men. What worked? What didn't? And why did it fall? Learn from the perspective of an X-Men veteran, Justin, and an X-Men newbie, Alicia. I think at some point, you know, X-Men newbie, that status doesn't fly. You know, I think early on... What's uh, a noob? Five years? Right, right, right. So I'm still in year three, okay? I don't... You're saying five years. I don't know that I would say five years. You talk to most casuals at a comic shop, and you're going to know more about X-Men history than they are. Interesting. I would say. Wow. Especially with the the basis of the Krakoan era, the offshoots that that connects to, you know, I was talking to someone who did not know that Kate had a ninja backstory. Oh, and I did. I read that whole story. Right, right. So, I mean, your your foundational history is kind of peaks and valleys here Mm -hmm. and there as it augments relevance to the current era, but it's there. It's interesting because I feel like there are definitely people who would agree with you and say like, oh, you're not a noob anymore. And then there are people who have like. Well, so that's that's what I'm talking about on the spectrum Mm -hmm. of casuals at the comic shop versus. Diehard X-Men fans would be like, you know nothing, you summer child. Yes, yes, (laughs) you are still very much so a summer child for the Game of Thrones fans in the room. (laughs) But you're getting there, you know, a five year plan. I think that's great. You know, I think so. Do you have any personal news that you'd like to share with class? I mean, my personal news just really two things. One, I just want to update everyone because there have been people reaching out to me and, and checking in. And, and I really appreciate that as far as my injury goes and what's happening with that. So just as a general update, um, I still don't know when I'm having surgery and if I'm 100% having surgery. Um, so that's been a little bit of a rocky time. Just navigating how long it takes to actually get doctor's appointments and get answers and all of that but you know I'm doing the best I can and I'm I'm filling myself with nerd things to occupy my creative brain space so that's awesome on the other side of things we have this vine that (laughs) grows in our yard and it is my life's mission to destroy it yeah it's a weed and it just kind of wraps around literally everything. anything and everything and grows under the surface of the ground. So I'm really excited for today after we record to um, go in the yard and destroy just it. destroy some things. And also like <laughs> yard work is so daunting and so often needing to be done. But then after you do it, you're like, look what I've done. I power washed the rest of the fence yesterday yeah. and I enjoy power washing. I will admit it. I imagine myself as a stormtrooper <laughs> just mowing down rebel scum. And it's literally rebel scum. It is scum literally that scum. has grown on the fence from years of neglect. From <laughs> I can just picture you saying, die, rebel die, scum. Rebel scum. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a good time. Fantastic. It's a great time. You just got to find ways to enjoy it. That's not my news. That's okay. Ooh, whoa. What's your news? <laughs> so... The podcast started in the before times, in, in the, the, the 
The doom. The doom in the COVID era yeah. of our lives. <laughs> Indeed, it did. My other habit that I started, or or big habit that I started in that time frame, was doing Spanish on Duolingo. Yes. I am currently in the finals of the Diamond League Ooh. in Duolingo. The Diamond League. This might not mean anything to anyone who is not actively pursuing language proficiency in Duolingo. Correct. But... It's a pretty big deal. It's top-notch stuff. It's top-notch stuff for me, uh, and it has been consuming my week because I am in the first position in the finals of the Diamond League. Oh, snap! And there's one guy that's just trying to come for me, and I've been stockpiling the two-times potions. Well, and there's just, potions in Duolingo. It's anything to incentivize incentivize you playing more. They'll do it. They're, they're throwing it at you. Gamification. Uh, points, system, who's winning, who's beating oh, who, man. team up with friends. So, you know. That's, well, good job, babe. Proud of you. I, I'm going to I'm gonna win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win, and then I'm just going to let it. I'm going to tumble down the ranks and not – I'm just going to do it for myself after that. Once we'll I win, see. Once I win number one. We'll see. Why do I need to do it again? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your questions and your smiles, they – Dagger to my heart. <laughs> hey, we What's have a up? poll. A poll. Yeah. Um, do you know what it is? Is it X-Men versus Iceman? That's true. Do okay. you know who won? Um, X-Men. Okay. What are the numbers? 96%. 86%. Fine. Fine. <laughs> oh. That's a pretty solid showing. Yeah, for sure. Are you ready to talk X-Men Unlimited? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. So we have X-Men Unlimited number 96, 97, 98, Control, part one, two, and three. And I think big picture to talk about this as a framework story across the three. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're teeing up to the final of these issue arc. Yes. On Monday, which will come out. Uh, it's Lorna Dane. It's very exciting. Dr. Dr. Polaris, if you're nasty or something Dr. like that. Dr. Polaris, if you're nasty. Which That's I, a Miss Jackson yeah, reference. Yeah, and I loved it when I saw it at first. Um, I think this is a really interesting story that dives into Lorna's backstory and connects her to something that is very relevant to her history. Just the idea of control, being mm -hmm. controlled, being manipulated by outside forces and the influences of others. I also love that it kind of has, you know, like an X Factor vibe to it. We've got this mm -hmm. mystery solving. You know, that was a, a time in the Krakone age when Lorna's story was really hitting home for a lot of people. And people were really into her character development. So to have her kind of going down that investigation highway again is cool. And learning. This is sort of why she's... She's checked out and she's not around is because she's trying to figure out like who she is while she's not being mind controlled. And as a person who doesn't know a lot about Lorna's backstory, learning all of these different instances where someone else was in control of her mind and in control of her actions is a really cool little bit of character history. Right. And I feel like, you know, you brought it up. This is very similar to where she was at the start of X Factor, trying mm -hmm. to find her place when not under control or not in the shadow of her father. Because right. and I feel like that's only stepped up further now that Magneto's not around, that, you know, we're looking for someone to fill that void. Mm -hmm. Could it be Joseph? I don't oh, know. No. Oh, God, no, Joseph. <laughs> it's not Joseph. The House of M showed up this week. Yeah, Let me tell you, they were everywhere. True. So basically, as a little recap of this story, 
Lorna meets up with an old friend who wants her to investigate these cold case murders from a time in New Mexico. P.S. Don't drunk text Alex tonight. Um, <laughs> Great. And she, th- these these mutants were murdered by someone pulling the iron out of their blood, which is kind of a kind of magneto. a niche, yeah, right. uh, you, you know, know, specialty right. for those with magnetism powers. I feel like um, I've seen that in a movie one time. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, trying to discover who's real, who's not real. She goes to, she goes to investigate. Danny Moonstar is there, but like, is it really Danny or is Danny under the control of someone else? Maybe named Malice. But wait a minute, this isn't the Malice that we actually know. I loved the references to Malice's redemption arc and the fact that, you know, she made peace with where she was at. No, it turns out it's not Malice. It's that weird green fool that you know do we love him do we hate him just we like to see him it's mesmero and that's the that's the gray rock and lane gotcha. reference because uh we put mesmero on trial uh, uh, rightly so because he's a jerk he's, he's, he's a, a terrible jerk. person yeah so if you need a little bit of a refresher on who the heck mesmero is check out that trial episode because you'll learn a lot about him what do you think of the story. I really like this story. And I think I I like the pacing. Like, I like the way in each issue, one little layer is peeled back. And we're kind of figuring it out along with Lorna. And I like that, I don't know, I just, I like that we're getting a, a story that's kind of focused a little bit more on something that's going on internally with a character. Mm-hmm. And follows just like this very straightforward line. Yeah. Well, and I love the film noir. Mm. You know, it just feels like a gumshoe. You know, it feels like I read a number of Raymond Chandler books back in the day in college. He was uh, a, a detective fiction writer. And this just gives those kind of vibes mm. that I wasn't expecting from a comic. I think that it does that X Factor Investigations idea in a way that is really well done, especially as a solo you know, is she the dame in distress or is she the private eye is a mix, right. a mix of the two. I'm looking at this image of when Victor comes to Lorna. Victor is the friend from the past mm-hmm. and, and she just looks kind of rocked from everything that's going on in her head and what's been going on in her life. Yeah. It's some good stuff. There's one more, like I said, and then issue 100 will kick off an arc involving the mutants who uh, won the... The vote or, or or did not win the people vote but made it to the team interesting i'm not sure how that works is that before the gala is that mm. just limbs on the floor when do i get sunfire story i don't know i'd imagine after that maybe <sighs> i'd hope i want it printed please thank yeah. you <laughs> you're not gonna get it printed i know and i'm upset okay why don't you tell me who who the creators are in this lovely infinity comic distract you from your anger written by alex segura art by alberto albuquerque colors pete pantazis letters travis lanham this is travis lanham we did have a couple of general things ah i'll bring those up before we get into the books captain to michael pointing out that one of juggernaut's powers is he can't die so let's get a nimrod rematch Mm-hmm. Interesting. And he also says that the, the Lego X-Jet is definitely coming. Definitely So to follow coming. up, yeah. It's not just a rumor. It's real. 
Pete Woods 86 throwing out the question, is Captain Krakoa baby Cable? Babel? Because they... <gasps> Took his they arm, put him on ice, him. they have him. I don't know, because I think Cyclops saw him when yeah. they were fighting in that free comic book day issue. And I think we kind of got a glimpse of him. I mean, he did look like a grizzled, older white guy. That right, but that's has... not baby cable. Sure. I mean, who can tell? He's, he's grizzled all the time. He's always got weird hair. He's mm. ageless. He's timeless. He's everywhere. I'll allow it because all theories are good, but I'm not going to back it 100%. <laughs> and Genesis Hero pointing out that we're still missing Evan Sabunar. Mm. Mm. Do you know who Evan is? No, I don't think you do. No, I don't. He's the clone child of En Sabanur. Ooh. The mutant known as Apocalypse. Mm. Uh-huh. Interesting. Clone Apocalypse, clone Magneto. <laughs> X-Men comics. <laughs> Clones. Shall we just mention a bit? Yeah, we're going to go we're going to go into our high level section. This type of coverage has been in evolution ever mm. since our last episode. I had fun in our last episode. I yeah, like I did was, too. I always have a good time when we're trying to like bow, 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 beat the oh. clock and, yeah. and go through a ton of stuff Yeah, and get a little crazy. But we're uh, talking about Scarlet Witch. There's, Scarlet there's Witch. two big points that are happening through, like two plots, right? Mm-hmm. We have the return and reveal of Joseph. Yes. Some initially triggering interactions as Wanda thinks that it's Magneto, thinks mm-hmm. that it's her father and she's figure. like what how what how and, and also a good acknowledgement for the fact that she hasn't dealt with her feelings yet i've been saying the and fact that that was supposed to happen in the lorna issue but never did right so seeing joseph and going oh snap i have to actually feel something about this was a nice moment for wanda the aggressive uh oh darcy darcy is just Darcy. All about that Since he's Uncle Joe. Just a clone of your dad. That means I can still look at his cakes, right? <laughs> Darcy. Darcy, what happened? Can you not see Wanda's crying? Seriously. This is your friend. So I mean that that builds in the beginning the the Mysterium or the the, the circle of metal kind of gets touched upon and, and reference to come up later on. I am interested in what Joseph is going through because of the face he wears and how mm. people react and see him. I think it's well, so interesting. Like, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think it's interesting to also point out that in X Men we had a a data page of sorts saying that like Magneto can no longer use this gate. So mm. the idea of Magneto fear mongering is still out there even right. if he's not alive. So Joseph has the ability to play in that narrative space i don't want him to pretend to be magneto or be a new magneto i I just i don't care that much about joseph but i think it's an interesting opportunity what's interesting too is he seems to be trying to like reform himself you know like he's like oh i was a bad guy but i want to be a good guy now so i don't think he'd want that mantle of what magneto's got going with the narrative that orcas is right you know spreading so Mm, questionable. We'll see. We'll see. And then there's the Wizard of Oz of it all. <laughs> and basically, what? the the character that walks through Wanda's door this time is a guy, a bookworm, who brings things out of books and brings them to life. He has brought Oz to life and this terrible witch, and he needs someone to help 
save him. It, that was so. Uh, feelings about the Oz of it all aside, the interesting twist on the person who walks through the last door is not entirely redeemable themselves. They deserve mm. some justice or or some punishment as well. Mm. I thought that that was a real interesting turn on what has been happening in the issues so far. Just the fact that they have abused their power in a way, but they were at a down point. Yeah. I guess the thing for me is that, so we're on issue seven of this book, and I was hoping that by now the B-plot of the Mysterium necklace and what's going on with that would be taking more prominence in the story. And it just feels like every issue is really about whoever's coming through the door and we're just getting like another breadcrumb, another breadcrumb. And that's making it hard to continue to enjoy the book as much as I was before because every... The majority of the book is is given to you and wrapped up in every issue. So this little thing that's chugging along, it's not satisfying the amount of information we're getting from it each mm-hmm. time we read the story. It's like I could have skipped this issue and I really wouldn't have missed anything. Well, the fact that they have added Joseph to the team to help figure out the larger story, I, I did feel at least teed up that plot. But then you look at the solicitation preview for the next issue, and it's like, no, we're not doing that yet. It's not yeah, coming yet. Because Loki's around. Loki's coming, and this, which I have no problems you, with. Right, you I'm love ready Loki, for that. So. But we got our second tee up of God's characters in this mm. issue. We did. To <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the last couple of pages where we have oh this lady. The, the lady who wants to kill everyone? Nope. Before no. that, okay. Dimitri, there's a page of him in Sevelith showing off some new technology. And I believe the lady that you're referring to is also in- interacting with someone who is uh, of the gods' pantheon. But I don't know. This guy is sitting in the chair. But the Dimitri in Sevelith is definitely the fact that it says gods in the bottom corner. So it might just be that page. Oh. The art definitely looks different. And then you get back to Helltown at the end as this woman is pledging revenge. Hexfinder. Mm. That's definitely a part of the Scarlet Witch story. Whereas this is, you know, hey, Dimitri's here. He's got some fancy tech that the vampires want. Gods. Yeah. Ah, there's even a God's page writer credit. Yep. Well, other credits, this was written by Steve Orlando, Jonathan Hickman on that God's page, Lorenzo Tometa and Sarah Pichelli on art, Frank William on colors, and Corey Petit on letters. PC's Corey Petit. Russell Dodderman on that chaotically beautiful cover mm-hmm. as Hexfinder is out in the clouds. I, I do like the upside down Wizard of Oz of it. Yeah. I don't think I noticed that until after I actually read the story. Looking at it upside down is really great. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, I knew it was upside down, but it does, you know, flip it. Oh, my God. It's like a whole nother cover. They do say that uh, testament of interesting design is how does it function when you turn it upside down? Mm. Are you still using some of the negative space? Is it, you know, is there opportunity to add more detail? I always thought that that was interesting, especially to see that here. Hey, we have no questions about Scarlet Witch. (laughs) 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 Because people genuinely don't care, apparently. 
Oh, Magneto. <laughs> no, no reactions either. No. Uh, all right, Magneto number one, a classic flashback. I was talking to Chris at the comic shop, and he was like, how do you know that this is a classic story versus in the fall of X? Like, how do you know all of those things? It, is it just, is it something in the, the book? Is it something in the details? Is it just because of how in-depth and obsessive you are over everything? And I was like, it's the last one, Chris, and you know it, but thank you for this opportunity to it express it. It also is, you know, the... The box at the, the top follow the Xbox, will yes. tell you if it has that Krakoan tie or not. Sure, yeah. Oh, Magneto. Well, let's talk about the cover. I think this cover is really dope. This, I like the yeah. the duality of the teacher side versus the brotherhood side of Magneto and, and seeing them split and as opposing forces in a way that's like frontal instead of towards each other. Right. And I think that it definitely hits on what it is that we're talking about throughout the issue, this duality of Magneto's nature and Mm -hmm. what he's wrestling with. Am I this person of compassion and good, or am I someone that believes that mutants need to fight for their place in this world, that our brothers and sisters need to be lifting each other up? Or am I somewhere in between? Both, maybe? You know what? The best part of this issue was Warlock. (laughs) I mean, sure, (laughs) sure. I like the art a lot. Yeah, the art was good too. And I really did like Pensive Magneto. I really did like so most of the issue is threaded around this monologue from Magneto as he's wrestling with his history, wrestling with what he's done and why. This idea that, you know, am, am I just playing this role of evil mutant to make the mutants of Charles Xavier's ready for the upcoming battle? Am I giving Mm. the world someone to point at and say, this is an evil mutant versus the X-Men? These are letting you know not all mutants. You know, not all mutants are of terror and rage. I think it's an interesting melding of the origins of Magneto with the tilt on his story that Claremont introduced later on in his run of, no, there is some redeemable qualities of Magneto because he's fighting for something that he truly believes in, mm-hmm. better world for his people. Right, and and that he himself has suffered oppression in this way once before, so he doesn't want to see it happen again. Right. And there is the investigation that Rain is doing into Magneto, which is sort of a mirror of him investigating himself of like what makes him tick and he gets really upset about that investigation I think because he knows that there are such complexities to him as a person and that he truly doesn't understand himself and his motivations really. So how can he explain them to Rain? So instead of explaining them, he just gets angry, angry about her even questioning it. Well, and I love that she's reading Xavier's private journals of the villains. It's basically the history according to Charles. Right. And Which, can you trust it? I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that we get the depth of internal monologue from Magneto in the description of Xavier's history. But I think having that through this issue definitely paints those activities in a different light. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed the art here. I, I really like Todd Nock. Yeah, I thought the art was great. And I do think that the setup of this story of Magneto, essentially this first issue, he's sort of dealing with discovering the depths of himself and connecting to the students. And then he is, the school is attacked and he is sort of kidnapped by 
a a resurgence of the brotherhood or a, a tribute brotherhood cult, I, so to speak. Iray, queen of wrath and her sisterhood of evil mutants, welcome you home, Lord Magneto. Yes. And so, you know, now we have the team, the new mutants, essentially need to go and save Magneto. And I think that that is an interesting arc yeah. that is being set up. And I like how this makes me think of... Okay, Magneto doesn't want to be that guy anymore. Right. But forces around him want him to be that guy. It was kind of like X-Men number one. Like, I just want to be on my space house and kick rocks. But the world is like, no, Dreadlord Magneto, we we need need you. you. Like, we need that guy. Come back. I pledge fealty. I'm Fabian Cortez, (laughs) first of my name. Yeah. I think the thing that was just difficult for me, like overarching, I, I like the trajectory of the story and I like the complexity of Magneto trying to figure himself out. But the monologue, the soliloquy, so to speak, that kind of pulls through the whole story was not as engaging as I would have hoped. So I found myself sort of disconnecting from the comic as I was reading it and then going back and, and having that moment of like, but did I just read what did I just read? I have yeah. to read that page again. I hear what you're saying. Um, but I think I'm I'm excited for where this is going to go because I think it's going to be an interesting story of development for both Magneto and a nice look at the New Mutants who are a team that I really enjoy and haven't experienced as much of. So I am excited to get to see them and their interactions and of course to have my, my man Warlock back in action since he's dead. Self-rem making jokes. Makes great jokes. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Throw our appendages in their posterior. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, it was great. I It was good. I enjoyed it. I liked how it sets up some mm-hmm. interesting stuff. You have a lot of great players. I, I love the art. I think that the the writing is poetic in a sense of, you know, really pensive about Magneto's past and his place in that arc of story. And mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see where it goes next. Is... I Ray, um, Queen of Wrath is is that a character we've seen before, or brand is new. that a brandy new, brand right. new character? I mean, definitely Magneto's number one fan. Apparently, li- look at that outfit. That's Biting. if that's not a Magneto copy outfit, I don't know what is. Biting that style. Mm-hmm. Written by J M Dematis, art by Todd Knock, colors Rachel Rosenberg, letters Travis Lanham. This is Travis Lanham. The cover by the Interior Art Team. Magneto, Evil Mutant, Chapter 1, Things Past. Ooh. Not a question, but Vaderino commented, The glimpse into Magneto's motivations for his classic villainy was a blast. Magneto is tricky because he has a long history of being dastardly, and the idea that he was playing a role makes perfect sense for the character. That he got lost in the role also tracks with psychology. Regarding role theory from Intro Psych, smiley face, especially for someone as damaged as Magneto, right? Mm. There's a lot of interesting complexities in this character and then now explored through this narrative of, okay, like, was I the guy or was I playing the guy they needed me to be? Mm-hmm. And where did I lose that line? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really interesting in, and, and, you know, anyone that you could do a character arc story, Magneto, yeah, top yeah. shelf, let's go. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Before we dive into the fall... Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1. So two stories that talk about what's going on in Spider-Man's world at this point and tee up some ideas. So the first one being 
playing outside the limbo tower. There's uh, someone, a demon of sorts, that later revealed to not be so, right. is causing some trouble in New York City streets. And Spider-Man gets involved because that's just who he is. Well, I was swinging through the swinging concrete jungle that is New there York. There you were, needing my help. <laughs> Speed so. up this story, please. <laughs> I love Maddie interacting with Spider-Man, just yes. not having any time yeah. for his nonsense. I don't care about your antics. Tell me what the point is. Because Madeline Pryor heavily features in this first half of the issue. Indeed she does. We're talking about the the panel that I posted this morning was about the influx of applications of people that wanted to be in the Limbo Tower, right? It is a, a recommend, a, a recognized place of Sanctuary. sovereignty, right? And, and connection to Limbo as a location. And so mutants are able to seek asylum here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the midst of all of that, we've got Hollow's Eve sneaking our way into... Free her man, Ben. Trying to free Chasm, which great follow up on Dark Web and seeing, okay, what's going on with that? What's going on with these characters? I do like the distinction that Maddie makes it like this is not hell. No. This is just a place where he is serving out his punishment. And I think, it could be worse. Yeah, right. I think the um, the distinguishing factor between these three characters in particular is really on display here. It's like, okay, but like, all of you were terrible in Dark Web. How come right. you're in charge, you're free, and you're in prison? Right. Y'all were kind of well, on, on a murder spree. But then... Maddie turned. Maddie turned, and Hollow's Eve just happened to get away, and it was really like Ben, who couldn't took see the fall. past his anger. And yes, took the fall. In other Dark Web-related news, I got my Ben Riley chasm action figure in the yes, mail yes you did that was exciting i'm excited to break that open i have a ton of action figures that are not opened yet and just <laughs> sitting there staring me in the face like hey you got this one wave like two months ago what are you doing Justin? do something the second story mm-hmm. actually seeing the impacts of the Krakoan medicine kill switch in action. Yes. Aunt Anna, who has been a vocal representative of Krakoan medicines at the last gala, attending the manipulation of Mary Jane through right. Moira. Mm-hmm. She is activated. And yes, at dis- her birthday party. And throws down like this one page that I'd seen a little while before of oh, yeah. her like cricking MJ's back and then pulling her hair and then just going off. So not she only throws on May across the room, almost landing on sharp knives, but Spider-Man, you know, happened to be swinging through because no one else knows. Right. Uh, saves Aunt May and gets into this fight with Aunt Anna that is surprising. So kill switch and super strength. What else do the medicines give you? Right. Thanks, Modoc. Exactly. It's, How it's are- a little terrifying. So I don't know if it's just because she's fighting without any of her ability to reason and right. And Maybe she recognize- can't feel pain sure. or whatever. So she's just going insane until Maybe. MJ slips some sleeping pills. Maybe they took Wolverine's berserker rage and put it in the medicine. Because they have so many Wolverines that they can mess with. Uh, yeah. They can steal that part of his DNA. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't think that's true, everybody, just based on his facial <laughs> he, expression. He does not. He does not. But he's trying <laughs> try to be generous in the read. You know? All theories are great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they bring Aunt Anna to the Ravencroft Institute. And they've gotten a lot of people in the same situation. A madhouse. 
Not yes. great term. Doesn't yeah, and it also doesn't bode well that you've got a bunch of people who are affected by this drug that makes them ruthless killers all together all in, in one, one place. place. Yeah, yeah. The the eyes on this orderly, he's like, uh, we're not allowed to divulge that sort of information of whether or not all of these people were taking Krakoan pharmaceuticals. Right. But you can tell on his Indeed face they were. that they were. Oh, this last image of Aunt Anna. She is does not terrifying. Look happy. No. To be continued. I, I just, I love, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Mm-hmm. So to see it thread in this way of, okay, not only is this relevant to the X-Men, relevant to Spider-Man, but relevant to the Marvel Universe in general as we get a first shade of understanding of what's happening to people when this kill switch is activated. Right. We're seeing it firsthand. Poor Aunt Anna. Mm-hmm. The creative team on the first story was written by Erica Schultz, art by Julian Shaw, colors Andrew Dollhouse, letters Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Corin Howell and Brian Reber on the cover. And then the second story, written by Celeste Bronfram, art by David Lopez, colors KJ Diaz, letters again Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. <sighs> What did you think? You, we talked about this, right? Yeah, you, you, I, I, I actually read it. First of all, let me just let everybody know. I actually read it. I mean, you, you sounded like you did. You were participating in the conversation. <laughs> I, I had no thoughts that you didn't. I'm just saying. Yeah. I read it, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I just felt like, oh, this is a Krakowin book. This is a Spider-Man book, but all of this is tying to all of exactly, like, this is a setup leading into Dark x-men this is what's yep. going on with the fall of x and Cohen medicine this is all related to x books right now 100 percent. yeah but absolutely. i liked it a lot uh, i really enjoyed it plus it's always just a, a nice reward when my interest reading becomes relevant to yes not that i'm not interest reading the x-men but it, right, you know right. it's 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 a melding. A little extra spice. Right. I get these these books to just be they're they're the candy. They're like, oh yeah, I could just I could just flip through this. The Avengers, what are they doing? Spider Man, what's he doing? What's up with them? And then you're like, ooh, a little treat. Ooh. Are you ready for the fall? Yeah. Oh, that was a mixed yeah. Well, I have I'm ready for X-Men. <laughs> I have not as excited feelings about Iceman. I feel like that's fair. You know, I I enjoyed both titles, but one much more than the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that there were some points about Iceman that we're going to get into. But let's talk about that cover. I think the cover's great. Yeah. I really like the energy of the cover. And the the colors are really beautiful, too. Like this contrast of the light, the sun with the blues of the ice. Yeah. I'm into it. I really like it a lot. The energy that Bobby is coming at the reader with Mm -hmm. and just the power that is Iceman. Yeah. Even the type font was really interesting. The the, the crystallized, kind of rocked, formed. So something that was interesting in the X-Men panel, the designing the X-Men panel, was they talked about the design of the logo by Tom Muller. Mm -hmm. And then they talked about how... Every title and all of the things, it's not a font. It's not a set font. He draws them every time. Oh. So he has like a style that he has the logo based on, but it's not a font set that they use. It's his 
like freehand drawing of the letters or just the, inspired the, by what yeah he has like a like a reference right of like what he's made but he drew out all of the letters of the alphabet and then he doesn't uh use that and then input it he draws each logo that's just all reference that's interesting yeah. It's interesting to me because I did not go to the panel. <laughs> I was stuck outside in line because I had spent too long enjoying Spider-Man 2 in Hall H. Sorry. I've since watched clips online, but sadness fills my heart. Sorry. As each new detail uncovers. Hey, anyway, give me give me one of them. Those fancy schmancy painter noise. News reports oh left and God. right. How is this possible? Orcus was right. Ugh. Ew. All of these different ways to bring us up to speed about what's going on, what's happened since the gala. Iceman, dead, alive, cosplay? Everywhere. Mixed reactions. I feel like this really centers the Orcus narrative as a main character in this title. Right. And we've got a title page. The title pages are confusing to me now because they're all f- flubbixed around. I mean, it's still general thing where you have the the pre-title and the recap on the left and then yeah, the title yeah, yeah, and the yeah, credits yeah. on the right. All right. The icy grip of apparent death. An apparent looks crossed out because we are back in action. Out Cold Part 1, written by Steve Orlando, art by Vincenzo Caratu, Colors, Java Tartaglia. Letters, Travis Lanham. This is Travis Lanham. Jesus Saris, who I do not know on the cover. Mm. Interesting. New new artist. I do like the art in this issue. Yeah. I think it just has like a, a really chaotic energy to it, especially this first page, which we had seen in some preview art. But just everybody's faces, the energy that they're running with, and the fury of these sentinels right immediately created sentinels i mean i feel like this should be a red flag to people that maybe orcus isn't being completely honest with you because they these are little sentinel drone bot crazies that are out here searching for mutants but they're searching and targeting people who are not actually mutants people who have Maybe taking this mutant drug to get a high once in a while, or experience, right? Or maybe are is this similar to the the Days of Future Past idea where if you had the gene that would then create a mutant right. that you're targeted? Like these things are going hard and they're they're aggressive, and this is like aren't aren't you supposed to be my protector, Orcus? Why are you out here flying killer drones in the street just? blowing people and things up right well thankfully we have a hero come to save us as these little darts of energy hitting any kind of technology turning it into these murder robots but Iceman freezing some of them as he makes his entrance what a what a cool shot that you know that was that was the lead image that I had chose Mm. when we first saw these preview pages Iceman making his entrance Iceman? Is that you? The public reaction here, too. I think it's just an interesting way of centering this conversation around identity and how it is dividing people everywhere. Mm-hmm. So like, you're a mutant. You're causing this terrible thing to happen right. to us innocent people. Like, like You being you here, you did this. Right. Even though Iceman was not the, the lure target as... 
this person is repeatedly defined as Iceman is the primary target that they Mm -hmm. hoped to have come out because of this. They sussed him out. Yeah. And that in itself is like, okay, so Orcus wants to find mutants, but the way they're going to do it is by putting humans in danger? Yes. Like, come on, people. I mean, of the mutants to do this for, Iceman being Omega 2, I think this makes sense, but it's a really interesting evolution of Orcus's tactics. Yeah. But he continues to save the day from this guy who apparently had taken experience and blasts through these icy formations that he has captured in his power. Right. He's got all the robots together. Freeze them, destroy them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the questions of he's alive, he's all smiles. You know, yeah. We talked about this in our Patreon episode this week. We did a little like before thoughts or kind of first mm-hmm. reactions. And you brought up the tone difference between this issue and... X-Men. And X-Men, yeah. And it's not, you know, we were talking a little bit to Comic Extracts about it. And, you know, Daniel brought up this idea that some people cope and process through humor. And I think that is a valid point. And I do know that some people do that. But to me, this felt more like, almost like a brush aside of the destruction and, and like made it more... Hey, this is just a regular day, a regular mission, and I'm your pal Iceman here right. to save the day. And I just, I didn't love that tone because it just didn't feel weighted enough for the aftermath of all of that destruction. And I'll bring it up now because it's what I thought when I first read it, and it's what we talked about a little bit later. I don't know that this is actually fully Iceman, mm-hmm. right? The The way that he has returned, which we'll get into a little bit later, but... It just feels like it's not carrying the weight of what's happened. It's only carrying the abilities and the perspective that Romeo wants to see mm-hmm. in his boyfriend. Yeah. Infamous mutant attention getter, primary target. I'm Iceman. Iceman kissing this random dude in the streets and then right. disappearing. What? Okay. Uh, cut to Orcus on the bloom. Not super happy. <laughs> no. I mean, again, I like this development that we see with the bad guy. I don't I don't like the bad guy, but I like them as being a, a counterpoint, being something that can stand up against the mutants and what they've been doing. Mm. You know, I want the mutants to obviously destroy everything that is Orcus to, you know, the, the fact that the X-Men saved Orcus members on the bloom, you know, no, you should have taken it down, like Beast said. I yeah. hate that I'm agreeing with Beast, but Yee, look what slippery happened. Slippery slope, Justin, slippery slope. Yeah. Nano Sentinels, mm. which, yeah, yes. Cassandra Nova would be so happy. She would love this. The primary target. Until Iceman turned them to freeze-dried dust, this is a less than thrilling, is less than thrilling, people. And we find ourselves... In Antarctica. In an ice castle of sorts. Definitely an ice castle. You know, (laughs) this is going to, and I want to mention it now because it continues to thread in this issue, but PJ brought up this point of the parallels between this story and the plot of Frozen. I just don't know if I fully agree with it. I mean, I understand, right, that Olaf was created from memories that 
Anna and Elsa had. And that's, it's like this idea of like love and friendship and childhood and warm hugs and, and all of that. Um, Olaf is a construct of Elsa's magic. And then throughout the movies, he ends up getting an identity of, you know, his own. But I just, I, I didn't get that. I, and maybe it's just because I don't really understand Romeo's powers. I more thought that it was like Iceman's connection to Romeo and the will of Iceman to live through Romeo's desire for him to live and that he brought himself back through particles. But maybe if I knew a little bit, maybe if I read that article there you go. about Romeo, I could see that parallel a little bit more. What's interesting, so his powers are listed as emotional empathy. He's capable of sensing and manipulating the emotions of other people. He uses this ability mostly to calm people down. His powers are boosted when he uses them on a person he has a strong connection to, which we find later on, and how well he knows Bobby. Mm-hmm. But is that calming his mind through here? Is that why he's not you know, in trauma from the experiences at the gala? Is... so. I was not equipped to engage in that kind of conversation on the plots of Frozen. I've seen the first one in passing years ago. Have you ever seen the second one? I've seen the first one, <laughs> period. I I like the idea, this ice castle, this magic, this ability to appear and then dissolve, essentially, but then appear somewhere else. It just feels as though it's an interesting story, whether or not connected to the plot of th- Frozen, but I do see some parallels that I think are interesting. And I it, think it, it more it more mirrors Elsa's abilities than Olaf. Like Elsa can make things out of you know snow and then dissipate them and make something else. And well, that's what we're talking about. That Romeo is the Elsa of this story, and, and Iceman is his Olaf. Okay, I just think Iceman is the Elsa, and like using yeah, himself. I, I don't I definitely don't think it's a one to one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it hopefully wouldn't be because right. I feel like that's that's not great. Not great, but you know. Anyway, Iceman in his trudging through the snow, entering in somehow wisping through and coming home to a pair of boots that he assembles Clyde. Those boots are his OG costume. Oh yeah. And Clyde is a construct, a little fun friend that we get some reflection, some introspection of Bobby Drake playing the highlights as we walk through this room, this hallway with all these art pieces on the walls, talking about the 05, talking about Araco. All the things that got him to this point. In particular, the cellular napalm that Nimrod injected him with that hurt like nothing he's ever felt before. Yeah, it's good to get a little context on that that, that not being Blythe's and there's a difference in the destruction of Iceman versus the destruction of Jean Grey. Yep, yep. And the impact that had on Romeo, the torment that he was living with. I don't know how long this had been, but you could see in these pages that he's carrying that emotion with him as he is using his powers to form Iceman back enough for Romeo to grab hold of these ideas and pull Bobby back together. Romeo was the last face I saw and the first. And it's just this this image of Iceman reformed for the first time, just like a baby, 
like all smiles, all mm-hmm. almost vacant in expression. Like, like what is this person that we know? I don't know. I think that that's an interesting in between of is this Iceman as we know him? Is this a vision of Iceman from Romeo's memories and experiences, kind of what Romeo knows and wants Iceman to be. I think mm-hmm. we have an interesting opportunity to explore the depth of memories or connections that this Iceman has in our next few issues with the threat that's set up. But it just feels it feels suspect. The all smiles, the the like, oh, that doesn't sound like me. It's just it, it just feels like maybe it's somewhere in between where mm. it's like the memories of Romeo plus some source material of Iceman. I don't know. It's just interesting the the pushing of the clock and and Romeo saying like every time you go out there you're pushing your clock and you can't stay solid for that long and wondering sort of how his existence makes sense in that if he's back why can he not be his full entity for long periods of time. Because he's sustained by Romeo's power. He's not necessarily back. Either way you cut it, I don't think that this is the Robert Drake that died at the gala, right? That this this constraint put on his powers, this new snafu of needing to be near this source of his abilities to be reformed, the fact that we never see him in human form. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I just think the thing that kind of pops up as a major question in my mind is that if this isn't fully Iceman, then does he actually have the full strength of his Omega power? Or is that going to be a factor in potentially his downfall? Like, sure. how is that going to work? If he can't fully be himself, is he actually as strong as he would be if he was pre-Gala? Yeah, I don't know. Pushing the clock as we, we see... Romeo in his throne in the center of in the war room, I think he refers to it as the pain in Romeo's face as he's berating Iceman for really pushing all of the the clock, the the mm-hmm. ways that he's able to use his power. And I just feel like that underscores what I'm saying about the pain that he's carrying, the the brooding that he was, the the grief that he had over Bobby's death and how that brought us to this point. Yeah. We get a data page to break down some of the attempts at taking down Iceman and what we could do going forward. What are some other threats that we can throw at him? What are some other ways that we can torment him? The way that they use these lore mutants to bring Mm -hmm. him out, the fact that he appears from nowhere. We have no sense of where he was prior until he shows up. Yeah, there's no way of detecting him until he's fully formed. He just comes out of the moisture in the air anywhere in the world it seems well how are we gonna get him we're gonna go for the family which i feel like this is what i'm talking about that could be if if bobby shows up and he's like oh i don't have you know how much connection he has to this place and these people would lean us into is this actually Mm. bobby himself or is this some representation of who bobby was as we set up Helium, the unfreezable man and his elements of doom. Next, nothing worse than a cold call. (laughs) And a data page kind of explaining the ideas that we're playing with. The ice palace that he's working with, the empathy that Romeo employs to bring Bobby back, the war room, place that they're able to work from, to operate in. 
to get a read on the entire world. And then this display that basically is like a health bar mm-hmm. that Romeo is able to monitor how much Iceman has left. What's he got in him? Is he also able to see that he's making out with other people Yeesh. in San Francisco? I don't know. Yeah. Interesting there, Bobby. So you uh, seemed kind of on the fence at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the story is interesting, but I just think that tonally, yeah, I definitely. was expecting a little bit, I don't know, I guess I wanted a little bit of a darker tone. I wanted a little bit more of a vengeful tone. I wanted a little bit more of anger from Bobby and not so jovial. Mm-hmm. And I, on the flip side, I appreciate the idea that if everything is doom and gloom, it's not as dynamically interesting to the reader. But I just feel like for there to be two Krakoan books that come out right after the gala and for one of them to be almost so lighthearted, it just didn't feel like I I read it and I didn't feel the vindication and the like, I didn't feel connected to it. I'm like, shouldn't you be so upset? You were destroyed. Your people were destroyed. You're not worried about where the other mutants are. You're just living it up in this ice castle and cracking jokes and making out with strangers on the street. I just, I think it's an interesting idea that he is not fully himself. Yeah. And to see where that goes and to see, to know more about the things that Orcus are doing that's not really a good look for them and getting that perspective from a different angle. Great. Which is, uh, which is one of the things that I feel like explains the tone, mm-hmm. which is maybe why I'm latching onto it as an idea is that Bobby does not carry that darkness in him because that's not what Romeo wants him to see and feel. Mm-hmm. And that's the manipulation that's making this seem tonally so separate. But, but at the same point, like Romeo is arguing with him, like saying this isn't, this isn't where Orcus stops. Like, this isn't about you. This is about the idea that Orcus is going to target mutants and then they're going to tar- target inhumans and then they're going to target all superpowered people and they're not going to stop until they've destroyed everyone. So with Romeo having such strong feelings and such anger towards Orcus, I can understand where you're saying, like, he doesn't want Bobby to feel sad. He wants him to feel happy. He's coming at him with all of this, like, why are you joking about this? This is a really serious thing. And so that feels a little conflicting to me. Mm. Yeah. Did you notice that we got some Krakoan at the end? I did. Ooh. You're back to your old translating days? Out Cold Part 2 is mm. our Krakoan tease, which I'm assuming is the title of next issue. And I'm I'm assuming you're correct on that. Based on the translation at the end of X-Men. I think that that's where we're trending, is that we're getting our Krakow and teases back. Exciting. But before we go to X-Men, we do have some questions, some thoughts, some reactions. Vaderino starts us off with, the power of gay love will save the world. <laughs> I mean, but, I do like that as a sentiment. Yeah. But seriously, this is a really cool evolution for the character, and he is essentially the ultimate target for Orcus. His vanishing acts make him practically a cryptid. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting challenge, and I do like the idea that he can sort of just dissipate and travel through the moisture. That does seem like an additional evolution of his character. Yeah, yeah. And just what that adds to the story, how this makes, okay, if you're gonna make a solo for Iceman, how do you bring something new to it? Okay, super base in Antarctica, new power dynamic, uh, supports team of Romeo. I think it's coming in with a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah. 
My Gloves Mariah Carey loved that Iceman was brought back by love. I'm excited to see where this goes. It's a comic that was exactly what Mike wanted and was expecting, and that's fine with him. When will we see Bobby in human form again at mm. the end of the series? Is that possible in the abilities that he's in? Right. Does he have a human form or is he just formed out of ice now? Right. Ooh, sad. Right. That's what, yeah. Boreas Rex also asking if Bobby D ices, can he hold together? Right. Because this is all really based on the will and ability of Romeo to, to keep him in this solid form. Yeah. I mentioned how PJ Kidwolf was drawing the comparisons between Frozen and Nice Man. And even Romeo sitting on the throne of his ice castle. And I just thought that was an interesting way that also supported my theories of this not being a a fully formed or reformed Bobby Drake. So maybe that's why I went forward with it so much. I mean, it does make sense that it's not a fully formed version of him. And it does track that Romeo, I mean, you literally see Romeo forming him with magic and snow. BMCG2 was not feeling nice, man. So... You know, it, not all titles for all people, mm-hmm. but I'd be curious to know what what didn't hit or what you were hoping to see more of. I think one of the really interesting parts that, that definitely still ties it to the Fall of X banner is the development of the Orcus strategies that Steve Orlando has been playing with throughout majority of his work. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea, the narrative manipulation. Yes. Yeah. And... This idea that they're very vigilant on tracking what's happening and immediately having a way to spin it so that they can stay on top. It's like they've, yeah. they have a, a database of reactions. It's like those um, auto-generated texts that come up like when you're, you're on the phone and you get a text and it's like, do you want to tell them? I'll call back later or whatever. It's like Orcus has a list of things of like oh no this scenario has happened hit them with this twist hit them with <laughs> this twist are you ready <laughs> i need to be ready but also know that we've already recorded a good portion of the podcast and i can't spend three hours just talking about shadow cat yep that, that would be nice i mean like we're all excited everybody in the comments was hyped for kate's new Look, whether or not you were on the fence before, I just people were like, you know, pirates, ninjas. When when is she becoming a robot? You know, what what's the other tropes? I think the fact that she's re-embracing her ninja roots is a fantastic callback to her character story, mm-hmm. and I just think it's so badass. It's so badass. It's thrilling. It's like oh, and the art was so epic uh... in this issue. Okay, let's talk about the cover. Yes. Let's talk about that Joshua Kassara cover. Coming through Orcus's Ooh, brain. Oh, man. This is the shadow in the machine. Kate. I love it. I love even the the detail of like this like splattered X logo that seemed to also tie into astonishing Iceman, this like chaotic feeling of it almost looks like blood splatter blood and cracking on yeah. the logos and the fact that she's phasing through the orcus logo she's slicing in she's got two different swords the detail and just i love it yeah i love it here we go page turn noise 
That's what the X-Men do. They save everybody they can. Kate Pride. Yes. We start with a little meeting. We've uh, got a flashback. Then Central Park. Kate with her rabbi talking about like, am I a mutant? What's this? What's oh. this separation that everybody can go on this island and party, but I can't? Krakoa I, doesn't want me to be there. For some reason. I gotta tell you, I was almost crying during these pages, and also slightly infuriated because I was like, "Don't you dare take that back! Don't you dare say she's not a mutant!" Well, you only recently found out about those insinuations in that story, right? That was only a week or two ago that that you had heard about that for the first time. Correct. But to see it so blatantly addressed here, and the rabbi was like, hey, you, you still believe in God, right? <laughs> yeah, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about that, but I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering of my place in this world. I love the way that the rabbi says, listen, you are a mutant, you're just even more special because you have this difference. Right. And that's a really nice framing, but I also liked getting to have this issue be this really cool through line of how Kate is dealing with her difference and we're getting this flashback of like the beginning of Krakoa and the idea that she you know she's been struggling with this inability or her difference in her connection to the gates to everyone else yeah going from then to now or at least x weeks ago as Kate Arriving to the Xavier Institute, guess bloodied. Who, guess who doesn't happen to be here anymore? Who? Danger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Or is Danger just still in the basement and we don't see her? Right. Yeah, we only get Kate so much of it. Sneaky sneaks in. She makes her way to her old room. She uncovers her ninja stuff in the floorboards. With an interesting note from Ogun. You will forever be the weapon that made you, Shadow Cat, with the K in the name. And I thought that was a. Uh, You're like, mmm. Where are you from, Ogun? The past, the future, like the spirits. Oh, the man. blood on her hand as she's going through her different names, or the narrator, Catherine Kitty Pride, has gone by many names over the years Ariel, Sprite, Captain Kate Pride, the Red Queen. She could not use those names ever again. <laughs> goosies. I'm getting goosies again just as we're talking about it. I love the almost distant look on her face in this art. Yeah, the art is so great. The art is so great. And I really love the the darkness of the layout of the pages that there's like the shadows are surrounding everything. And the way she moves through these mm. floors, these walls. Yeah. She's really embracing the shadow here. I love it. But cut back. We have to check in with our friends at Orcus. Friends. Uh, <laughs> as Stasis is performing to the human people in front of him. Ugh, talking gosh. about the mutant massacre. It's been weeks. We get that that time frame it has been weeks x weeks you know the 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 common thing that they've been throwing around (laughs) we're not we're not telling you time anymore because yeah we're working with a couple of different things orcus was too late to save the people the mutants attacked this was all a plot a ploy yeah boo hoo orcus you stupid liars but guess what not all the mutants are bad 
Our friend Firestar here has been with us since the whole time. As she demonstrates the solidness of the gates hiding a tear on her inside eye. This Poor story Firestar. for Firestar, you know, Kate definitely carries this issue. Yes. But Firestar is the long game plot that I have a lot of interest in. Me too. The most interested I've ever been in Firestar. I commented that in a social post the other day that she's bringing a whole lot of complexity in her character. Well, it's just so interesting for a character that's already been struggling with finding her place and then figuring out that her place is to essentially be a sacrifice for other mutants. Like, in order to be helpful and, you know, help save the mutants, she has to put her... So she has to become what everyone assumes that she was. She has to embrace the darkness Hmm. that they've kind of like put on her that she's a traitor yeah yeah and i really i gotta say our friend over here ben yurik ben yurik i don't think he trusts orcus oh no he definitely doesn't he's He's definitely taking notes on how this is a sham yeah and just how orcus is positioning themselves just the look of stasis if anybody has heard of or knows sinister right it's like like, now you're seeing his face you're like hmm i don't trust this guy questionable the way that stasis is positioning orcus here rising up in the vacuum left behind by shield saving humankind saving (sighs) the people of earth this issue is so good okay we're talking about the way that they're we're seeing the words that Stasis is saying, how he's framing everything as a positive. And then we're seeing like the the dragging of mutants like to those tents that we were talking about where they're doing experiment. The, like he's talking about like we're saving them. The no, gene you're therapies. robbing them of their identity. You're you're just, using it. Yeah, it's just so mind bending and infuriating and such good storytelling. Throwback to Woofer from a couple issues ago as he's thrown onto his new home, Mars, Araco. Mm-hmm. And these posters that are being put up on the gates. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that Orcus is not destroying the gates. Like, the gates still yeah. exist. That's that's a, an interesting way to leave that. That's, you know. Chekhov's gate right there. Mm. You're not going to destroy it because there's going to be a plot use for it later on. Recapping of Captain Krakoa and his brotherhood needing to be brought to justice for what they've done on the nation's leaders in Washington. Something that will launch the Uncanny Avengers. Indeed. As we meet with Phalong and the president... Ooh. It's just the way that they're sneaking in to all of these positions of power. Right. To have these stark sentinels behind the White House, to see this intimate conversation between the two, to see this cannon hanging out over the summer's habitat on the moon. Right. These sentinel war machines out there in space and, patrolling Phobos. And just the interesting thing of like Fei Long saying, hey, listen, we're already doing this, Mr. President. We've already got it taken care of. We're your friends. Don't worry about anything. We're your security. We're also not waiting for you to tell us it's okay. So there's that looming idea of threat, right? Like, we're already doing it. So why don't you just let us do our thing? Yeah, yeah, If you want your people to be safe, you'll let us keep doing what we're doing to 
protect you right. from the mutants. Don't worry about the Henry Gyrick Center for Behavioral Studies on Randall Island. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely not a gulag, but it totally is a prison that we are just yeah. keeping everyone stored in. Yeah. <sighs> Dr. Stacey. <laughs> Dr. Stasis. I didn't say you could speak to me. Prime Dr. Stasis content in this comic. Yeah. Ugh. Just his sassiness and his quips as he's approaching the mutant in question. Mutant they've got, they're trying to get answers out of. Prisoner 10, who has not been cooperating. Stasis coming in, basically presenting his power to this mystery mutant, but we have the reveal as Cyclops is captured and hooked up on a machine, trapped, spouting off about the X-Men. And now we know why his eyes have been sewn shut, because we've removed his visor, but we can't have his eye beams causing chaos. I want to know who sewed these, and how did they make that happen? Sure. Well, I mean... Some kind of, I'd imagine that his powers are not active if he's sleeping, right. but I don't know. So maybe he was like unconscious right. and his eyes were already shut. So then we could just zip, zip, sew it up. Oh no, not the X-Men. There are no more X-Men, Dolt. Krakoa is empty. Your transit system shuttered. Your treehouse burned. Your medicines laced with a kill switch. Humans are calling for your deaths. It's Orcus who's urging restraint. Not all mutants, we say. But it's only a matter of time before all the remaining mutants are pulled, kicking and screaming Ooh. from whatever hole they're hiding in. Oh, man. Just the the level of villainy right now. Just the, yeah. the joy that he has as he's presenting all of his tactics to Cyclops. I do want to comment that we, we didn't mention Cyclops has lost the use of his legs. Yes. And... Stasis is saying how I'd be really surprised if Xavier hadn't left you any number of chairs in storage. Yeah, that's just not so cool. They're kind of setting Cyclops up to be this vengeful version of Xavier, this wheelchair-bound leader of the mutants that would recruit a different kind of X-Men. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm, I'm a little bit distracted by Stasis's outfit because I'm noticing that his gloves have what I feel is the Black Widow symbol on them. And then on top of that, right, in this first image where Cyclops is on the X, it appears that Stasis's left arm is red. And then in, an, in the next image on the next page, it's his right arm that's red. And then it goes back to his left arm, and I'm just like, oh, these continuity things. You're going to make well, one arm of his jacket a different color, but you're not consistent with which arm that is. Mm. And I always wonder if those things are intentional or or what. It looks like it's left all the way except for that one panel. I, I haven't compared that to when he's talking in front of Yeah, it's, it's left when he's talking in... What looks like maybe New York, I'd assume, because Ben is there. But then when he's walking towards the gates, it's the right side. Yep. So, intrigued by that a little bit. Hmm. Is it a shadow? Is the whole That's thing That's what I was red? thinking, but we don't know. But anyway, that's that's not what's important in the issue. I just, no. I had to say it because it was bothering me. Yeah. 
Cut to the hole in which the mutants are hiding. The Morlock tunnels as we get our X-Men team, or at least where it is right now. Sink, Talon, Miss Marvel, Rasputin, and Shadow Cat. Ooh, yes. Speak of the devil, here she is. This lineup shot as they're trying to plan what to do next. And Kate has no interest in it. She's not interested in being part of a team. She's interested in just doing what needs to be done. And she's the only one who can do it right now. Yeah. Sink follows her into her her room. And <laughs> the idea of like, ah, I never knew how annoying that was. Until that someone else was doing it. Used to it. do it to people all the time. But, you know, she does need a little assistance. She just needs some help Patched sewing up. up her wounds and... You know, this idea like you're going to have a scar. It's like interesting of like the also the emotional scar of what has happened or what has happened to her over the years that got her to this point. Well, and just the 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 fact that Singh is telling her you're fighting sloppy. You know, right. Your abilities should make it so that no one is getting this close to impacting you in this way. But. You're not resting. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not working in a way that is going to be beneficial for you in the long term. She can't see the long term right now, you know, She's too focused on her revenge and what she needs. The Lockheed mention. Oh, I don't even know where Lockheed is. My heart. I don't know where he is either. I want him back. I survived living with a Wolverine longer than anyone. Oh. Where did that happen? Out. Yeah. In the vault. Sink, were you in the vault? Kate sure. going on her mission. The, the interesting call outs of Rasputin 4 thinks you hate her. And this bringing up a lot of memories for Kate. This idea of, I, you know, I did that thing once. Go back and fix the failings mm. of a previous generation. And now I am the failure. The, the weight that she's carrying. Right, because she feels a whole different level of responsibility for this because she was on the council. Sure. And I think it's interesting to see her sort of acknowledge the fact that she played this role of, you know, a politician. She played this role of being not as active in the fight and is realizing that that's not the strongest place for her. That's not where she thrives. That's not where she can do the most good. And so she's just going hard into this other version of herself. And because of the responsibility that she feels for what has happened and the opportunity that she sees with being the only one to be able to go through the gates, she has this different sense of responsibility. Like, I have to do this. Hmm. And it, and it has to happen now. We can't wait. We can't plot and let Orcus get stronger. That's what we did already. Right. But she is still being a team player. Part of what we need to know is how many mutants are out there. Where are they? And providing intel know, for the resistance. So she is able to sneak onto Arako and is caught by Woofer, who sees her walking through the streets. Through the gates. Yeah. How'd you do that? You saw nothing. About to phase the sword into him. Hey, are you, who are you? Are you any use? What can you do? Like, uh, do you know any of these people? I need you to be my eyes. Every mutant is an X-Man. Yeah. Find Polaris. Find Forge. Find all these people that we need as part of our team. I just love, I just, I live for it. I love the... Listen, I'm threatening you. I'm not actually going to hurt you. But like, I, there's no time for niceties. 
Get me the information. I'll be back. Sunfire is the other one that I couldn't remember on the short list that Kate is looking for. Now cause a distraction as I sneak out. <laughs> so what do I do? I'll bump into this giant Iraqi mutant. Yeah, just the chaos that we're seeing. I mean, we have not gotten a recap or our next step of what's happening on X-Men Red or right. what's happening on Araco since Genesis has laid down the threats of starting civil war. But it seems that the the planet is war-torn and it's just this port where all of these mutants have gone for refuge that seems to be, you know, run down and has this very po- post-apocalyptic feel to it. Mm. A one-page recap of what happened to Forge during the gala. Where did he go off to? Someone pointed out, like, how did that happen? Wasn't he resisting? And also, how is he out of his gala look? I don't know. It's just a couple points. But Mm -hmm. we set up Children of the Vault here because Krakoa is incapacitated. The, The prison that the children had been kept in is no longer active. Right. So do you think, is this... Forge is not in the vault. Forge is somewhere else, and then he has the realization that, oh, shoot, the vault. Right. Dun, dun, dun. You know, maybe he had his costume underneath his gala look, just like Cyclops did. The particles change. Unstable molecules left and right. You can't can't ask these kinds of questions. I can, and I will, and I do. Oh, we've got a a reference to a friend from an Invincible Iron Man comic. Oh, Hazel? Hazel. Escorting Tony Stark's assistant. Escorting Kamala Khan back home and setting things up for her warm welcome return. Yes. Your family doesn't need to know that you're Miss Marvel. They don't need to know that you're a mutant. They don't even need to remember that you died. You've been off on a trip and now you're home. Yeah. And Emma is basically, you know, she's disguising herself as Hazel so that she can be out in the world undetected. And she's giving Kamala an out. She's saying, this is not your fight. Like, yes, I did want you to present yourself as a mutant because I thought that that would help the situation, but we're past that now. Mm -hmm. And this is not, you're not ready for this. You've got too much on your plate. You've dealt with enough already. Just stay here, be with your family and lay low. Just get out. Just get out while you can. And, you know, we had a nice touching moment of Kamala reconnecting with her family and Emma pointing out, you are back because of the five and the five are not here and we don't want to risk losing you again. So stay put. Kamala says, nah, that's okay. I'm going to be an X-Man. Right. Which, you know, is kind of a throwback into the face of Emma and all she's trying to do. But but also I think that Emma will look at that with respect. Sure. I, I mean, Kamala is taking on the responsibility that is put to all mutant people right now. Mm-hmm. She is not just saying, no, that's not who I'm going to be. That's not the the call that I'm answering. Right. As we meet up with the teams in the Morlock Tunnels, our X-Men team, including Hazel, including Emma, with the Uncanny Avengers and Tony Stark. So everybody under Jerry's pen, all meeting together right now. In the tunnels together. Notes about Steve Rogers having reassembled the Unity Squad and skewing the roster heavily with X-Men to bring up the optics of, hey, no, we are still working with mutants. Right. I feel like this is a... I've always called out the fact that the Avengers never seemed to care about the mutants right, yeah. being killed by Sentinels until 
it reached to a, a critical mass point and then was also affecting the broader superhero community. Right, for sure. And I think that that is an interesting point in knowing that the events of the gala did involve threats against other superpowered beings and against the Avengers themselves. So it is a little a little upsetting like, "Oh, now you want to do something?" But at the same yeah. time, we need we need that support. So it's good that this is this is happening. Absolutely. And then we get we get an Emma and Kate moment. We get an Emma and Kate moment after Deadpool tries to introduce himself to Rasputin. Hey, oh. some of my best friends are from the future. I've heard of you, clown. Give me a wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love it. Jerry always taking a moment to add some levity into the issue. Of course. But yeah, Emma wants to know what happened. What happened after you fell through that gate? What happened to you, Kate? Why have you changed so much? Kate doesn't want to talk about it. Oh, this next sequence. We're going to talk about it because we get to see the entire thing. <sighs> yes. This this is really where the meat of the double-sized or the oversized issue comes from, right? There's so mm-hmm. many panels of this fight and this exchange, and that's all so beautiful. It's so amazing. It's so amazing and it's so invigorating to see Kate. We get the opposite side of the view of what happened as Kate falls through. Basically, the Orcus team saying like, all right, we're good. The gates are not working. We're going to wrap up here. And then Kate falls through the gate. We get that callback line of you fellas aren't going to behave, are you? And, you know, this idea that they're very dismissive of the fact that she could do anything to them. Well, they don't know her, right? Right. Well, they know who she is, right? Right. She's a high-target mutant. She was on the council. She has an Interpol warrant out for her arrest. The opportunity that Kate sees here as these Orcus agents confirm that the gates don't work, nobody can pass through them, but she just did. That this whole place is clear that there's no dangerous mutants here but she's here right so she needs to keep these people quiet she needs to phase through this radio and take down these agents before they can blow up her potential new secret power yes the ability to be this ghost in the machine to be able to move around and do this recon this is a, a strength that orcas cannot know about right and this moment where she says i killed that radio I don't want to kill any of you. You started a war. You won't win. Surrender. I'll make sure you're treated well, not like you treated us tonight. This is your last chance. Surrender. And they just... They go off. and They're like, oh, should we surrender? I don't think so. We're orcas. Look at us. We're just a puny little girl. Yeah. You're just... Fools. Yeah. You were trained by Xavier. I love the the eyes... The zoom in, you're worried about the wrong teacher. When you get to hell, tell Ogun I said hello. <laughs> and then and then it just starts. It starts. The Orcus agents make that first move and the bullet phases through her head as she comes for oh, the man's jugular, crushing his windpipe. Krakoa was a land of laws. The first was murder no man. Guess that one's coming off the books. Phasing the gun through his skull. Uh, It's just the the viciousness that she's unleashing here, which, I mean, so 
if you want to if you want to say like is this justified or is it like what is it? i mean she's broken here yeah she is she is letting out the berserker that is trained inside right like she she just went through the craziness of the gala right we talked about this in that the moment that we get to the hellfire club and we see lord's death and we understand that this is the only moment in the whole chaos of the gala that anyone can actually take a second to process what has happened and what's happening is the person who teleported them away is dying so you have the craziness of the gala that moment of lord's death this thinking that we're going to make a plan and then immediately being separated from the rest of the team and landing in the middle of orcus and then hearing them laugh and joke and think they you know, they've got this in the bag and she just goes she off. just goes off. She goes hard into no no rage, you know, and, and I love seeing the influences of Ogun and the seeing the influences of Logan specifically in this fight. And and I really appreciate the you're thinking of the wrong teacher because right. yeah, Xavier she she went to Xavier's school, but from everything that I know about Kate, she really learned mostly from Logan and Storm. And like those were the people that she sort of put on a pedestal as like her mentors. Sure. I mean, she always thought Professor Xavier was a jerk. And, Correct. Yeah. But there there's a lot of influences here. And I think the the big one to call out is what I was saying before. She knew her sudden ability to access the Krakoan transit system represented a huge tactical advantage. It was a secret worth killing to protect. As she right. just uses her powers in all different ways, throwing one agent phased halfway through another. Through another. It's this idea that like if any, it's exactly the motivation that Orcus had. If any of the humans survive this experience, they're going to right out. let everybody know that Orcus was the one. And if any of these agents survive right now, they're going to say, hey, there's a mutant that can still go through the gates. Yeah. So... She's got to take them all down. There can be no survivors. And these last two, or, or <sighs> I don't, I don't think they're the last two. But just okay. Can we just talk about it? The mo- this image of her just walking towards them, both their guns pointed at her, and she is just no cares in the world, dark shadowy face, slow mo walking to the bullets. Just. I'm just going to take these little grenades. And put them inside of you and watch them explode. Yes. Blood everywhere. That's right. And then, oh my God, hold on. There's a radio. Someone else has a radio. In the suit. So she takes the radio and phases it into the guy's throat. Oh, gosh. Boom. Punch straight through him. This silhouetted image of her. Do you see that she's holding his heart? Yes. And then drops it in the next panel. So good. And then this moment. Gosh, this. Oh. The just the like. Okay. The the X Men saved me, right? So the way she holds his face and puts her head down and is just. It's like she's taking a moment. She's taking a moment to remember the mutants who, who sacrificed for you, who saved you. And look at you, you're still here. It's a shame those mutants are dead now. That, that look in her eyes is probably one of the most haunting of this mm-hmm. sequence because it's really showing the depth of 
change that she's gone through right here. Right. The, the just the unleashing of emotions that she's able to process. The fact that she's not telling anybody about this experience because she can't handle right. sharing that she's, moment of her she's life. She's not going to be like, Emma, listen, what happened is I just went crazy and murdered a bunch of people. I joined the murder mommies. <laughs> it was just like, you know, those girls had a lot of fun. And, and even this next image of her just sitting, crying, dealing with the fact that she had to do this. She had to kill all of these people and this is who she's become now and this is who she needs to be yeah. to win this war. Yeah. The way that the Red Queen died and Shadowcat was reborn. The detail of phasing all the bodies into the grounds mm. so that they couldn't be found so that... Nobody knows no what happened know, here. Right. I mean, I don't know if she cleaned up all the blood, but... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, as we flash back to the sewers and she brushes it off, nothing happened. If I have to call you Hazel, then let's just leave all the names, all the old names on the funeral pyre. Because Emma calls her Catherine. Yeah. She doesn't even want to be Catherine. She doesn't even want to be Kate. She is Shadow Cat. She's losing the identity of herself and she's going full throttle into Shadow Cat. And where is she going to go? Kill Firestar. <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> and the issue ends with a title page. Grind House of X. From the Shadows. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Stefano Casali. Colors Marte Gracia. Letters Clayton Coles. VCs Clayton Coles. Josh Casara and Marte Gracia on the cover. I mean, I think it's a loaded question, but what'd you think? <laughs> I loved it. I think you have called it your favorite issue of X-Men. Yes. Like like of any... Yes. And I think that, you know, so to take that with the build up and recognizing, so some of my, some of my shenanigans and planning, seeing your connection to Kate and Emma and then just doubling down on that, mm -hmm. right? So the two characters that you connected to the most at the beginning... We then served up stories that related to them right. because of that interest, right? Right, and you're the one who suggested I read Kitty Pride and Wolverine. It Paying did, off. It did, you know, it really made me connect to Kate on a whole nother level. And, you know, I, I was talking to Blonde China a little bit about this, and he said... We we often, you know, y'all have probably heard me slyly reference the 100 on this podcast before and um he said to me after my reaction from our patreon episode he said kate is in her blood reina slash sky ripper phase her era and i'm like yeah you're so right it's this idea that you become consumed by the idea of saving your people that the only thing to do is enter just a murderous rage to do mm. it yeah and i don't know why those are my favorite characters and I am so excited and I just like, I said this before, like I was thinking about making this costume. It was on my list. Like I want to be in it now. I don't want to wear it now and I want to go kill Orcus. I just think <laughs> like seeing a character that I'm so connected to be so invigorated in the idea of just slaughtering the people who are torturing her fellow mutants. It's just... I'm so excited by this story. I'm so excited to see the way that Emma's story is going to pan out. But this is 
an insane reward. And I do keep in the back of my mind this idea that, you know, I think it was, was it Jordan who said it's going to be really great and then not so great for yes, Kate. Right. So I am trying to mentally prepare myself for the not so great. Yeah. But I am going to thrive in the great right now because... I just freaking kill them all. Yeah. Just kill them all. We don't know what's going to happen to Kate in the long term as of right now, but there is something on the other side that might not be the best for our hero. And then we get this, after our title page, we get one of the signs that goes on the gate that says, Magneto can no longer use this gate. Thanks, Orcus. Neither can Joseph, the new Magneto. <sighs> <laughs> uh, no, I loved this issue. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was really rewarding on the story. I feel like this was the dark tone that we needed yeah. after the gala. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think of just how much material Jerry is putting on the page, right? The gala itself, a massive comic. I think we talked about the fact probably the longest comic we've ever had. Yeah. Single issue comic. Uh, it, longer than any of Inferno. It was longer than God Loves, Man Kills. I had done that comparison. Mm-hmm. And just the amount of narrative opportunity that that presented and how it's immediately followed up on in Invincible Iron Man and then in X-Men and then setting up for it to continue in X-Men and to continue in Uncanny Avengers. That th this is the story that Jerry has been working on building to and now he's just able to play with it. Right. And I mean, do we understand why Kate can go through the gates? No. Will we hopefully get that answer at some point? Yes. But... Right now, just this and the idea of the like mutant underground that's building and even just looking at the team, right? Rasputin, Kamala, Sink, Talon, Emma, Shadowcat. That is a stacked team. Sure. And you know at some point they're breaking Cyclops out. Yeah. Like they got to. They have to. And I just... What is, I don't know. Oh, God, it's so exciting. What does the Krakoan say? Unholy matrimony. Oh, my. Exactly. 100% unholy. <laughs> I wish I didn't ask. Because uh, it just brings up the fact that it's happening. I'm, just, I'm telling you, it's, it's political. It's tactical. I think that it might be in part, but I also think that there's a developing romance. And you are... Deny, deny, yes, deny. Yes, exactly. Refusing to acknowledge that. Let's talk about either less so questions, more so just gushing over the issue itself. Let's so, do it. Well, to start us off with something funny, Ramspring has sent a photo, the photo of the team meeting in the sewer and said, look at Everett sinking with Kamala's power so that he can be taller than Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> Embiggening himself so that he's standing taller because in an image, and I don't know if it's you know perspective, but he is shorter than her earlier. I thought yeah. that was really funny. 1407 Gray Malkin, Kate is really on some murder spree. And uh, that was, that was, yes, the she is. Unleashing. And I'm here for yeah, it. no, we're all here for it. It was just in that Orcus deserved this payback. Mm hmm. Sketchy X Men Legends calling out Shadow Cat is back. Ooh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, she's yes, back and yes. she's better than ever. Connor 1.0. I never knew I needed Shadowcat killing people with body horror until now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just it that like that 
the shame picture. A shame. Like, like the yeah. the loss of all reason in her eyes. Right. And, and also just like that this is a motivation of sadness, right? Like she and guilt. Like I feel like she feels like, yeah, all those X-Men are dead now because we didn't do anything. Because we had this law to protect all of you, to kill no man, to worry about our relation with humans and that's I think another dig at the idea of like you're worried about the wrong teacher like I'm no longer going to to follow this oh Krakoa is about mutant human relations she's over it she's done she's team Magneto she's out like y'all had your chance and we tried to work with you and look what happened and she has a lot of regret and I also feel like that regret is what's fueling her fire and why she feels this conflicted sadness you know of of like okay well I need to make up for my mistakes mm. yeah Mike loves Mariah Carey saying that Shadowcat being born is one of the most iconic X-Men issues I've ever read mm-hmm <laughs> How screwed is Forge in Children of the Vault? Find out next week. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder yeah, if I mean, they're, they're gonna they're not gonna be super happy with him. Yeah. I wonder if they're gonna come straight for him if they'll know that he's the one that manipulated their imprisonment. Right. Well, he was seen, right? In the vaults. One of the children of the vault saw Serafina, him. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if, if she knew or how much she knew about their stasis. He's also really excited for the redemption revenge arc that Cyclops is going to go through. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm here for it. I'm ready to get excited about Cyclops. Yeah. If he's going to be slaying Orcus and he's going to be gritty and dark and angsty, I'll take it. Cutting through I'll his eyelids. I'll be Team Scott. Ah. Watch out. Ah. Nick Voltz, 238. Who's going after Firestar so far? So we have Kate. And Rogue. And Rogue, I would assume. And uh, Those are two people you do not want coming after you. Yeah. It came up in a conversation in the comments on a post, and I suggested, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if Rogue went to absorb Firestar's power or to attack her in that way? And she got the memories. And got the memories of her assignment, and that's the that first would uncovering, be dope. right? That would that be would a great be super dope. use of bringing her in, but not having to have her reveal her. Right. Like, there would be a moment of... of oh, now we're going to work this angle. Right. we know you're a double agent. And to have the Uncanny Avengers be the one to uncover that, mm. I think would be an added benefit there. Because she has ties to the Avengers, so then sort of like she'd be on that team without being on that team. Right. Fake Torta is understanding Emma's deleting Kamala's pa- parents' memory, but it's lazy storytelling. Why kill her then? So like, why have Kamala go through this arc of dying becoming a mutant and then having the whole thing removed from her parents memory i thought it was an interesting point to call out but i also think that this has emboldened her in the mutant cause right Right. the the fact that she has benefited from mutant technology to put her in this part this point makes her feel even more connected she has the line of i'd be doing this whether or not i was a mutant i believe it because she's a hero but the stakes are so much higher for her to be a participant in this story right and I think the someone just coming to you and saying, hey, Kamala, you're a mutant versus the shockingness of being resurrected and finding out you're a mutant is a different level of realization for Kamala in, in her character. Sure, right. And, and just what that meant for the sacrifice and the prevention of uh, Rabin ascending in Spider-Man and, and what that did. 
there there was some rumors of whether or not it was actually going to be MJ that died in that exchange mm. and whether it was then written that Kamala was going to do it and then this resurrection, unclear. The other thing too is that this idea that Emma is altering the memories of Kamala's family does the service of saying we're not going to completely uproot the storyline that Kamala has going on that she her family doesn't know that she's Miss Marvel and all of these things because if she was to walk in there and be like hey I'm alive how is that possible x y and z I'm an inhuman I'm a mutant I'm Miss Marvel like they that kind of blows up her entire right. storyline which is like and then it all just becomes about that right this is like that's not what we want to do we just want her to be intertwined in this story as well yeah well it's interesting war lions picking up on something similar me nothing can make kamala's death more pointless duggan hold my beer (laughs) it's like okay i I get what you guys are saying the fact that this is taking over the emotional impact and kind of removing all of the reverberations from that but changing her story and her perspective i feel like that's the impact that's, that's the, the meaning yeah. to the rest of the story is just like how this is going to change kamala's personal trajectory right and i think that that's interesting too because it's like we're trying not to uproot the basis of kamala we just want her to have a character moment that yeah something new is infused in her that will change her yeah he's pointing out that we lost punisher and frank castle to get punisher and kitty pride okay <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. I love that. He's wondering if Ogun is messing with Kate again. Last time he did that, no one knew except for Wolverine because for some reason Ogun kissed him while possessing Kitty. I don't think she's possessed. I think she's just sort of like... Unleashing. Embracing it. You know, she's seeing the value in Ogun's teaching now. Yeah. When he calls back to this revolution era... Uh, It's hilarious how everyone, including Kitty, called Scott all types of crap when he was killing people, and now they're doing the same. Kitty's case is worse because she kept fighting him and did all types of crap to him the longest. And I would say that the, the details here are different. Scott was trying to rescue mutants from imprisonment, trying to lead the mutant cause, whereas this is a point where they have been essentially decimated, at least to our knowledge, Mm -hmm. in their numbers, in their strength, in the society that they were building in tandem with trying to help the humans and the need to have done something. You know, she gave them an out. She said, "I, you can surrender now. And -hmm. they said no. And then the need to remain anonymous to, to keep that power off the books was so great that she excused the need for death. Right. And anybody that is best buds with Wolverine and trained by a ninja assassin, Mm -hmm. they're not going to play lightly. She's not going to play with her food. Right. And the other thing is that those are different points in characters' history. And so, yes, at that time, maybe that version of Kitty did not believe that what Scott was doing was correct. Or the the way that he was going about it. Right. But it's, it's this idea that like, it's okay, here's an interesting thing. Right. I was reading an article. Someone sent me um, an article about dancers dealing with injury and um, this like longing to want to dance when you can't and all of this stuff. And so I was reading that article this morning and there's a line in the article saying that like people can empathize with you, but they can't actually understand what you're going through unless they've gone through it themselves. And so that's exactly what's potentially happening here is like in that moment, maybe Scott was feeling the way that Kate is feeling now, but she couldn't understand that because she didn't have those life experiences that she has now to be going through this thing. So I guess you could say that she was hypocr- she's being hypocritical, but she didn't have 
those experiences. She wasn't understanding yeah, people change. it from that perspective because she didn't go through it. She wasn't feeling it the way that he was feeling it in that moment. And so, you know, pe- people change. Characters go through arcs. And I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, she shouldn't be doing this because she harped on Scott for it however long ago because she didn't have those life experiences and that understanding. Or those motivations. She, I feel right. like that's really, you know, to... To think that a character is crystallized in time and that they don't grow and change is to deny them the ability to be a version of humans, right? right. A version of the human experience. And in that moment, right, wasn't Scott the leader of the X-Men? Wasn't he responsible for... Wasn't Charles was dead? Because he killed him. Right. Ha ha ha. And he wasn't really the leader of the X-Men. He was the leader of... A, a different grouping of mutants that but like, could have been under a banner of X-Men. So so he felt the weight and the responsibility of all of, of those the, mutants Of the being mutant people, basically. Captured yes. and all of that. And so she's feeling a similar thing of being on the council. Yep. So I think they're different points in history. Pete Woods, 86, wondering, where did Forge go? I thought he was saying resist at the gala. And that was what I was calling out. The fact mm. that, you know, it seems like some discrepancy about where he was or what happened and where he ended up. But... Was it at a certain point? Was there somehow a manipulation in the gate that sent him somewhere else? We don't know. And we'll probably find out either in Children of the Vault or in future X-Men issues. Mm. I feel like Jerry is still keeping tabs on a yeah. handful of the mutants that were related to his past years writing the issues. Right. He's probably got notebooks on top of notebooks about this stuff. Hopefully. J.A.R. Bark author loved X-Men 25, but hoping that Rasputin gets a bigger focus. She shouldn't just be a support hero. I don't think she's going to be. I mean, she might. I mean, she has been a support throughout her Krakoan era appearances, right? She has been the security guard of the council. She's just kind of there in this issue. I I don't know. You have someone that is essentially all powerful. So you don't want to flex that too frequently too right. soon. That's something that you build to when you need most. That's the in case of emergency break glass. And yeah. you then go off with all of the powers and abilities that she has. I thought it was really interesting to see her and Kamala team up during the gala and that fight and to just get kind of a taste of what she could do. But I, I think that that's going to be explored over the course of this run. Yeah, I'm sure that she will have a moment. Because what is the point of of involving her in this story if she won't have some kind of moment? One more summer said X Men twenty five delivered a lot better than I thought it would be, mm-hmm. which yeah I was, you know, I keep on saying it. X Men has gradually gotten better and better over the the two and a half or however many years that Jerry has been writing it. I think mm-hmm. that he really found the voice for the team dynamic versus the individual storytelling in the beginning, yeah, and the longer plots and arcs that he kind of found his footing with and was able to embed in multiple titles. So I can imagine that it's just going to continue to maintain that level as it continues. I agree. Immortal X-Friends, no contest on X-Men 25 being a new favorite. Yeah. And I know you're feeling that same way. Yep. JP Dinomasso is wondering, what do you think Miss Marvel's mutant power is? And is there even any way that we'll find out with the five off the table? I think we're going to find out. I think she's going to... It might manifest in some in some fight or maybe the pairing of her and Rasputin will be a way for her to discover it because Rasputin knows so much of her from the future. Yeah. I'm- because they got paired in this too. Like Sync was like, you know, Rasputin and Miss Marvel go do this thing. Right. 
Right. So you're saying that Rasputin might be able to inform Kamala of what her power is. Of how to connect to it, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if that's something that would need to be like edited within her genes to be able to have her mutant power manifest before or that's that's a hard thing and especially now without the five able to do things like that yeah but i think there might just be this idea that it's in her genes she just has to figure out how to connect to it because you know her experience in becoming an inhuman has maybe stifled that but yeah no that's just like the way that the terrigen mists work in respect to mutant powers that's why I'm unsure how it'll actually show itself. As to what it is, I have no idea. Right. I would hope that it's not just something uh, stereotypical. You know, I think of, I love Dust as a character. I think of how her power is very connected to her, where she is from, mm. right? You know, having the sands of her, her heritage, her people, the, where they live, Having that very tied to it. So I don't know. It just feels like to make her a mutant and to not use the idea that she's going to come out as a mutant as a way to uh, help mutant-human relations, it feels to me that the discovery of her mutant power needs to be an impactful element in the fight against Orcus. Mm. So it feels like it would be a power that they need at whatever given moment. I just right. and they I think have, that it's going to be an important part of her story. And they have complete opportunity to do whatever they want with. Right, right. LV Duart was not prepared for such a grim mood. He needs Krakoa back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I am not interested in getting Krakoa back. I want more death and destruction and dark, dark, <laughs> dark X-Men. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Krakoa back at some point, but I'm content to sit in the fall for a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the grim mood definitely was a response to the dire stakes set up by Orcus at the Hellfire Gala. And yeah. It was welcomed based on where we were at narratively. Legion on Zoom saying both books were great, but god dang. X-Men 25 was incredible. Love Shadowcat. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> There's no question there. Don't even worry about it. Vaderino said, come on, it wasn't even a contest. I've gushed enough about Kate's scene in Jerusalem, and I'm certain you guys will too, but it bears repeating. This scene freaking ruled. And a pivotal turning point for Kate. Good luck, Angelica. LOLOL. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Firestar. Bye. Gilbert Rojo, 1022. Kate is the badass we always wanted her to be. Alicia, what are your thoughts on this Kate? <laughs> this is my dream. This is my everything. I am so ready. I am in love. I Yes, please. Oh, man. Uh, the way this next one made me cackle. Eric Huffman, man. Wolvie's first Babette is off the chain. Why does she feel like it's all her, though? Emma's got her back. And I think that's an interesting point, right? Mm -hmm. Why is she taking this burden alone? She has been a part of a team, has been a part of this culture. I, you know, I get Emma specifically. They have been this one-two punch throughout the Krakoan era. They both sat on the council. They both had that weight. Emma carries it with her as well, this for the children. I feel like... If anyone were to understand where either of them is coming for, it's the other coming from, it's the other one. Right. However, there's a point made in the beginning of this issue to go back to the beginning of Krakoa and have Kate have this deep conversation with her rabbi about the isolation that she feels 
not being able to go through the gate and the rabbi saying to her that's just something that makes you more special and she's been living with this isolation she's been living with this thing that separates her from everything else throughout all of the Krakoan age and now this thing is what's giving her the ability to do this and so I think that she feels this like sense of intentional solidarity that she must keep this as a thing only for her because multiple things right if, if she's found out, it can't affect anyone else if they don't know anything else about it. And this idea of keeping it a secret and, and being on her own, I think the marker of saying this is something that makes you separated from everyone else is why she's doing it. Like she feels a sense of responsibility that like I was given this opportunity to be the only one to go through the gates so I must do this alone. Does she actually need to do it alone? No. But I think psychologically that's where it stems from. Hmm. Yeah. And also probably a part of her doesn't want to admit out loud that she's gone to this very dark place. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, those are all our comments. Those are all our questions. Those are all our gushings over the issue. What's happening next week? What what more of the fall do we have to look forward to? I don't know. Let me look in the back of this comic and see. I'll if just it'll tell, tell you. Me. Okay. Ghost Rider slash Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance. The Ooh. kickoff to this mini crossover. Children of the Vault number one. Ooh. Immortal X Men number fourteen. Oh man. I believe that's it. Yikes. I'm picking up Spider-Man Annual Number 1, which is seemingly the first of the Contest of Chaos annuals. I like oh. that the Amazing Spider-Man Annual did not touch on that, kind of did its own thing. But interesting that Erica Schultz is also involved in the writing of this Spider-Man Annual. So we might get some further connections. Ooh. <sighs> I'm all riled up now. Yeah, right. You've been waiting to process that. I've been waiting so long to talk about it. And I'm just, it's like the moment I talk about it or see it back on the page, I become like a whole new like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like I got a lot of angst. So now I'm going to go rip up some weeds. <laughs> yeah. Until next time, old friend. Charles, get off that beach. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 